Cassie's birthday is coming up. BT dubs. Yay! <laughs> I have a silly GoFundMe account on a. Uh, I've been oh, sharing yeah. on Facebook. People, I didn't donate. Sorry. I've already gotten one hundred thirty dollars. <gasps> oh my god, that's like an hour. <laughs> yeah. Okay, she's trying to get trying oh. to get her tattoo fixed. Sorry. Yes, I think we talked about this in yeah, an yeah, yeah. episode that we're going to release soon. Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, I have a terrible tattoo that I'm trying to get fixed, mostly because I'm meeting most of my boyfriend's extended family this summer, and I don't want to be in a bathing suit with it. And it's my 25th no one... birthday, so 25th birthday. Wow. Mm. All right. <clears throat> nope. This is hard. It is. It's really hard. You okay. start the whole, you get the fucking ball rolling. It's a. I don't like the ball. Me, mamo. Oh. I don't sing. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Welcome to. This is hard. Okay. Welcome to Texas 1031. We are your hosts, Cassie and Hannah, and we describe. Oh, nope. <laughs> You're enjoying this way too much. All <laughs> this right. is an actual swap. <laughs> All right. Welcome to Texas 1031, you guys. We are your hosts, Cassie and Hannah, and we discuss crimes and mainly murder that occur in Texas. If you want to interact with us, go to our website, Texas 1031 Podcast, to find our social media and where you can listen to this great podcast. And every episode, we bring you guys two murder cases. Tonight, we have one... And this is going to be a switcheroo, April Fool's episode. We're not going to be doing anything in Texas. So Cassie has one coming from Nebraska, and I have one coming from Connecticut. So guys, don't forget to rate us. Please leave us a review while you're there. And we really hope you guys enjoy this special, weird April Fool's episode. And thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is our April Fool's episode. I didn't write anything for this, so I am just going to keep ad-libbing. Everything's backwards. We read each other's parts. We're going to do non-Texas cases. It's going to be fun. And actually, another like backwards thing I thought of, I'm doing child murder. Yeah. I rarely do, do child murder. Yeah. You, you did Deanna Laney, and that was about it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I always do those. Yeah. So another... Backy wordsy thing. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna take out my gum right now. <laughs> oh yeah, if you no one yelled at us about that yet, and yell yeah. at us if you want to. I didn't think it was that bad, but you can definitely hear Hannah smacking, and it I was know better than me coughing the whole time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What, so every other time I'm coughing. So if that annoyed you. We're aware. I didn't find it that annoying. She also did warn you in the show notes. So read yeah. the show notes, right. friends. My mom <laughs> said it was annoying, so you um, know, you know it's real. <laughs> I know that we had promised the Law Professor episode, but as many times as I have stated before, I was moving. Um, it it was just a lot. There's a lot of ums and pauses. It was just taking forever. So we're going to postpone that episode to be released at another time when we are in a real predicament. Mm-hmm. Um, but for now, we're on track. Yeah.
let's literally do it backwards to where we don't have any recommendations. We don't have anything to say. This is like October all over again where it's just fucking me talking to no one. Right? <laughs> no one's even listening. No one. Oh, we haven't said that in a while. I know, right? Aww. That's because people are kind of listening now. Yeah, we love you guys are. so yeah, fucking much. So much. We still feel like no one's listening though no, because they really we aren't. literally, sometimes I don't even know if Hannah has turned on the microphone because we basically just talk like this the entire time mm-hmm. I'm here. So it's... We still feel like we're just talking to ourselves. That, which is a good thing. Yes. So. Yeah. Um, Cassie's going to go first this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So our, for our special switcheroo, um, I first thought maybe I would do something that people know about, like a well-known murder. Mm-hmm. I was I, like, I love, love is a bad word to use for this, but I'm very interested in Ed Gein. Gacy, all the people we've heard a million times, but I was like, it's our April Fools. We should have fun with it. And then I decided to go with someone I have never fucking heard of in my life. Cool. Um, Opposite of what I did. So, oh, good. Okay, yeah. cool. So I'm glad we have a nice yeah. balance here. Yay. So I chose to cover the murders of Richard Stetson, Janny, Danny, sorry, Danny Joe E. Barrel. I feel like I have to spell, spell something every episode because I don't know how to speak. E-B-E-R-L-E. Okay. Um, and then Christopher Walden. These are murders committed by the Nebraska boy snatcher, John Jobert. Forensic Files. So, we begin <laughs> January 11th, 1984 in the city of Bellevue, Nebraska. A suspicious man is seen loitering around a Bellevue preschool. When confronted by Perfect. a teacher, he shoves her, threatens to kill her, and then ran off ran off to a car with which he then sped off in. This fucking badass teacher who had just been assaulted and scared by a man wrote down the license plate. Badass bitch. Uh-huh. And reported the incident to police. The rented vehicle was traced to John Jobert, a 20-year-old man enlisted at a nearby Offutt, O-F-F-U-T, Air Force Base. John's quarters were searched. What is that? A foot? It must be a city in Nebraska. Capital O? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I thought it was like a foot or our, like, you know, a, a military term or something like oh, that. Oh, okay. okay. No, yeah. It's capital no. O. Okay. So, Got it. Yeah. Um, so John's quarters were searched and a rope identical to a rope used in a young boy's recent murder was found. More rope and a hunting knife was also found in the vehicle. John was arrested that night and with this ended a string of murders that had rocked the local area. For how long? Um, oh God. Oh, sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to like put you on the spot there. Um, honestly, it was pretty quick. So it was probably okay. like four or five years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Still a long time, but still. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so he confessed to two local murders and warned that he would kill again if released. He was held on a $10 million bond. Dang. So, John Joseph Jobert, the... Triple J? Uh-huh. Forensic like, fucking file. The Trinity. <laughs> so... Um, John Joseph Jobert IV was born July 2nd, 1963 in Lawrence, Massachusetts. Mm. Massachusetts. Massachusetts. 
his psychiatric reports um, after his arrest kind of read and they got his background and basically he was raised in a broken home by dot 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 a domineering mother yeah. as if we've never heard that in no, a serial never. killer that's a thing when it comes to profiling oh, a man. psychopath yeah. mother maternal issues what what moms have have an effect on their young boys never and, I wow no Wow, this is new information, Cassie. Profound. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for bringing that to light. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. Massachusetts doing all the work. Um, his mother was not near as bad as Eddie Gein. Um, Eddie. She basically kept him from making friends, and she was a bitch. She moved him. Her, He and her father... Um, she and her father his father good lord she and his father got divorced um she moved him away from his father basically said bad things about him honestly it doesn't sound that outstandingly bad she sounds like she was an asshole yeah Yeah, still not great um and he was also taunted by schoolmates for his small stature at his age Mm -mm. um so his mother was named Beverly. His father was named Joseph, of course. And he had a little sister named Jane. He had an IQ of 123 and could read at age three. So this man was very intelligent, um, at least book-wise. He served as an <laughs> altar boy. Uh-oh. Which I flag. put in. Yeah, I put in because I didn't read anything about any abuse he may have suffered as an altar boy. But we all know what happened to a lot of altar boys. So I put it in. I don't know if that... Contributed at all, but Massachusetts, yeah, you gotta. Yeah, I feel like it was included in the article I read for a reason. Um, he was seen as very shy, and like we said, he was picked on. By age six, John fantasized about killing his babysitter, um, and cannibalizing part of her corpse. Michael Myers. Mm Mm-hmm. Love and him. He, when asked about this in psychiatric evaluations later in his life after his arrest, he said that he just thought of her as someone to kill. So there was no particular no reason. Yeah. Right. So very Michael Myers. Um, his thoughts then turned from a very young age to killing strangers. Um, his fantasies mostly consisted of strangling and stabbing his victims. Um, and later very personal. in his... Hmm? Very More, personal. Yeah. Those are both personal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then later in his life, it was revealed to him that he, at a very young age, had witnessed his father beating and choking his mother until she passed out. So he definitely had some repressed memories that were affecting his psyche. Yeah. Yeah. Um, This is what psychiatrists that later studied him said his violence stemmed from. This particular memory is something they drew out of him and could pinpoint. Um, So after his parents divorced and... He moved to Portland with his mother and sister. He was, like we said, bullied. He had a very mean, domineering mother. And he was made fun of for his last name. Which, you know, I was fucking made fun of for my last name. Because it, it, it's just... King of pop. Kids. Yeah, kids do that. And so I wrote in parentheses, what a pussy. Like, I was made fun of for my last name. Like, your stature. It's just like... Was it because of his heritage? Because it... Was in the 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever you want to call that it. That could be it. That, like that country could of be origin. It. It's just so, I feel like sometimes in serial killers, we get so wrapped up into what created them that we might make excuses or allowances for how they became that. And so I'm like, you know what? Throwing in that you were made fun of for your last name, like deal with it. So many kids are fucking made fun of. Yeah, but you at know? the same token, I mean, it could be 
like we just said, the root of his issue was potentially seeing his father beat his mother. So yes, another that, that thing is important. could have been bullying from other people, whether yeah. it's 2018 or 1967 or whatever it mm-hmm. is. I mean, people were made fun of from where they're from back yeah. then. You know that's I mean? true. That's true. So and it, it as much as you can come say, at suck him it at up, like but, all angles and really created this monster or maybe not even created, but fueled the rage that he yeah. had growing. You so got to think of the point. time of the bullying, I guess, yeah. if you will. So. so his junior year in high school, um, he started committing random neighborhood attacks. Um, these were non-fatal stabbings. He committed this against two young girls and one boy. Um, they started as suddenly as they stopped. Um, basically one of them that I'll kind of point out, um, this girl was, I think, walking her bike home or something like that. And this fucking 14 year old comes up behind her and like slashes her throat (gasps) and like kicks her down and runs away and she lives but she didn't see who did it. She's young, you know. I think she was like uh, ten or eleven, something like that. But she um, rode her bike from everywhere. Probably from then this on. is the, yeah. Walk this is what the 60s. ride your bike, girl. Yeah. So um, and then another one. He stabbed a girl with a pencil as he just oh like rode by on his bike. So he started having these outbursts of rage and acting upon them at a really young age. Um, he was never caught for this. Never. So he graduated high school. He dropped out of a military college that he attended for like a semester. And then he enlisted in the Air Force in the summer of 1982. So we are in 1982 now. Mm-hmm. First murder he committed was in Turkey's Bridge, Maine. Um, I believe he was there for the Air Force during training, something like that. Mm-hmm. So this was August 23rd, 1982. Um, the murder was committed against 11-year-old Richard Stetson. Richards is seen jogging in his neighborhood by neighbors. Um, and then he is found the next morning strangled, stabbed, and bitten on the leg. Um, from what I read, there was no evidence of sexual assault. So someone was charged for this, um, a local pedophile, and then the charges were dropped because his teeth did not match the impressions on the leg. Um, So this went cold. Um, The murders that I'm going to cover, I'm not going to get into too much gory detail with them because they are children and there are a few here. Mm -hmm. Um, This one is mostly interesting because of the psyche of this guy. Um, So anyways. So after this, he was then stationed in the Offutt Air Force Base in Bellevue, Nebraska. So this is four months later or so. Moved from Maine back to Nebraska. Yes. Okay. So on September 18th, 1983, Danny Joe E. Barrel, age 13, is abducted from his Sunday morning paper route in Bellevue, Nebraska. His older brother had remembered seeing a tan car following Danny a few days prior. Um, from what Joe Bear said in his statement after his arrest, he approached Danny, pulled a knife, covered Danny's mouth, and took him to his vehicle. He then drove him to a gravel road outside of town. Um, Danny's body was found after three days of searching. Um, Danny had been stripped to his underwear. His mouth was taped shut with surgical tape, and his hand, hands and feet were bound, and he had been stabbed nine times. Um, again, I did not see any 
evidence. I didn't read any evidence of sexual assault, but the FBI brought in local pedophiles and questioned them, um, but the case still went cold. So in December, December 2nd of 1983, Christopher Walden, age 12, disappeared in Papillion, Nebraska. Witnesses recall seeing a tan car um, that they didn't recognize. It was a small town area. Jobert approached Christopher, showed him the knife, and ordered him into the car. He then drove out of town, ordered Christopher to strip to his underwear, and here a struggle ensued. Um, Once Jobert gained control again, he stabbed Christopher and cut his throat so deeply that he nearly decapitated the young boy. His body was found two days later. So, a little over a month later, presumably while stalking his next victim at the preschool we mentioned at the opening, January 11th, 1984, 20-year-old John Jobert is arrested and charged with two counts of homicide. Um, He initially pled not guilty, but then changed his plea to guilty. The psychiatric evaluations found him to have obsessive-compulsive disorder, schizoid personality disorder, and sadistic tendencies. I I feel like I tend to always, like, breeze through the trials. Um, So, again, I did. So, (laughs) July 3rd, 1984, he is sentenced to death for the capital murder, murder charges of Christopher Walden and Danny Ebert. E. Ebert, Elbert. Eberl. Eberl, thank you. I don't have it in front of me, so I forgot words. Um, so after publications came out about this murder trial, these murder trials and his arrest, his sentencing, detectives back home in Maine noted similarities between Danny and Christopher's murders to the unsolved 1982 murder of our aforementioned Richard Stetson. Mm-hmm. They tested hair. They basically followed this hunch that they had and tested hair and tooth samples and made a bite impression of John, and it matched. So he was indicted on that murder, Richard Stetson's, on January 10th of 1986. In 1995, um, Joe Bear filed a writ of habeas corpus, Lawyers argued that he that the aggravating factor of the exceptional depravity was unconstitutionally vague. Um, so basically, that didn't make sense. And then as I read on, no, it they, does make sense. I don't know how he thought it didn't make yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> and he thought that the death penalty was like cruel and unusual. So that was basically what he oh, was he appealing. Did. I'm oh. so sorry. <laughs> so um, the Nebraska court actually kind of agreed, but. And appealed to the state, but the U.S. District Court overturned the appeal, saying that he showed clearly sadistic behavior and does not deserve his right Mm -hmm. to life. John Jobert was executed on July 17th, 1996, um, via the electric chair. In a phone interview in 1996, sometime before his execution, he admitted to all three murders and the prior assaults. So that's where the assaults came from. Um, he basically said, I would act up. His final <laughs> statement was, in part, again, I'm sorry for what I have done. I do not know if my death will change anything or if it will bring anyone peace. I want to ask the families to forgive me. Sue. That's not a bad last statement, honestly. I mean, it's, it's 
pretty straightforward. I think clearly he was suffering from major personality disorders. Mental illness. Like schizoid personality disorder. Fucking spot on, you know? Mm-hmm. So I feel like what I... there. This one is pretty straightforward. Questions and... Questions and theories kind of straightforward, actually. I'll, I'll change my mind. So I asked, were there any warning signs? You know, he got away with uh, at least three physical assaults during his junior high year. You don't know what you're doing. Like, the fact that he was able to get away. Like, I know that still forensic evidence isn't a thing or whatever. And they maybe weren't taken as seriously as they should have been. But where was his domineering mother during all of this? How did she not see... How was nobody watching this boy, teachers, anyone enough to notice that he was exceedingly violent and that someone should step in? Was there even a resource like that available at that time, you know, for teachers to say, hey, this kid is fucking crazy. We need to, he's violent. Like, we need to watch him. We need to get him counseling. That might have not existed, but I just, I mean, I, the, the dominant, everything that you, the assaults, were on his bike or like after Mm -hmm. school or whatever so i mean he might have been on his best behavior in front of every other authority figure because he knew oh my god if i fuck up my mom's gonna kill me so i'm gonna do it on the way home i'm gonna Mm -hmm. do it on some bike route i'm gonna do it in the woods get out this fucking aggression right and no one will know any different no one can you know i don't have a license plate on my bike i don't i'll put on a hoodie or i'll wear whatever no one can catch me yeah and so he's not gonna do it when adults are around that's true that's true. So maybe they had no idea that the deviance and this mm-hmm. aggression was even happening. Yeah. Like I, another thing I wrote was like mental health exclamation point. But you're right. If nobody knows, like mm-hmm. the, someone has to reach out for help or show signs that they can't make the decision to reach out and someone needs to step in to basically help you, you know, fix your mental health issues, get them corrected, get mm-hmm. you get you back on track to living well, a decent life. If he's in his teen years of where you're forming your whole future and your whole mental scope, he's in fear for his life and his future from his mother. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to do everything he can to please her. So everything is formulated to kind of like work around this plot that she has for him. So I mean He's not going to do anything that is going to deter him from her praise. Mm -hmm. He's not going to do anything that suggests him doing otherwise. Yeah. So, I mean, no one's going to, he's not going to reach out for help because this is his way of like getting out what he really feels Mm -hmm. and acting on that aggression of like, I got to keep this inside. And I don't know. That's just my opinion. No. Yeah. Of, of him acting out from his hatred towards his mother and it's scary that the air force like they did nothing wrong but it's scary that there's just not counseling prerequisite you know because you're basically signing up to i mean commit lawful murder in some cases and so you would kind of 60s and 70s i mean that's true it's a different time you know what i mean you had to go so Another thing I put, um, oh, so he did say, and it was, he got sexual gratification from their fear from an early age when he fucking, you know, slashed Mm -hmm. the girl with a knife or poked someone with a pencil, like their scream, their yelp for Mm -hmm. fear and in terror that gave him like the heebie-jeebies, you know? I wonder if that came from like him hearing his mom And that was what, you know what I mean? mm -hmm, That's what psychiatric therapists thought. They they thought that this was something that was so deep-rooted in him that it was, you know how um, the shoe fetish slayer, Mm -hmm. Danny Brutus, or uh, something Brutus, Jerry Brutus. Brutus, yeah. um, He, it can 
I think it was traced back from something with his mother. Mm -hmm. And somehow that hooked into his budding sexuality and like, boom. So that could have been right at at the the right time of their Mm -hmm. uh, puberty or whatever development stage they're in. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to tap into a rough part. You can fuck them up. Like it's from, I feel like all the podcasts we listen to, all the TV shows we've watched about serial killers and people who commit these heinous crimes classes that we've taken yeah yes (laughs) it's like head injury or a traumatic experience predisposed environmental issue so the next thing i put nature versus nurture this kid was sadistic and cannibalistic at age six was it proven that he was cannibalistic Yes, he said that he fantasized not only of murdering his babysitter, but of consuming her flesh. Fantasized, fantasized. not actually he was acting not, He on was it. not acting on it, but okay. that was, he, he had cannibalistic tendencies okay. at such a young age. But it was never proven that he actually acted Correct. on them. Okay, but still, just wanted so, to But he did clarify. bite his first victim in the leg. True, so it was attempted, mm-hmm. at least-ish. Yeah. So, is it nature? Could it be nature in this case? I feel like it's always more nurture. And I feel like nurture it definitely plays a big. But is it something where this was always going to be creeping in the back of his mind? And if he had had a different childhood, a different upbringing, would it have ever come and bubbled up to the surface? Or would it have just stayed quiet and he just would have been into some weird porn? Mm-hmm. You know? It's just... It, that That's always a very interesting thing to me because I feel like for something like homosexuality that's your fucking nature like nothing in your life is going to change you to that that's how you're born a serial killer i feel like it's more nurture i feel like serial killers are bred but also could that mean anyone it's just it's so convoluted i think think it's a 50 50 thing i don't think you can have more than one or the other in that specific instance i think that you can have pre-set disposition of I'm not, you know, sympathetic. I'm empathetic. I'm not scared by violence. I am not, I have no sense of humor. Mm -hmm. I'm this, that, or the other. All of the things. I'm narcissistic. I'm just self-involved. I don't have the quote unquote, you know, normal feelings. And then paired with a shitty lack of parenting, a lack of, you know, social environment, um, seeing domestic abuse or violence or drugs, um, it has to be 50-50, I think, in my mind, for that to accelerate. Because, I mean, yeah. look at all of the fucking CEOs and politicians that we have in the world. They grew up with privilege, mm-hmm. and they're narcissistic, and they're full of themselves. They're and, sociopaths, more than right. likely, yeah. So, so that's, pair a, that that's just with, a different direction right. that it took. Pair that with yeah. something that they've seen in their childhood or whenever, mm-hmm. and it could have escalated into... You know, something way worse. That's a good point. That that is a good point because people do like to do what I just did. Like it's this versus this, and it's like, well, no, more than likely in reality, it's a blending Combo. of these. Yeah. So otherwise, I feel like we would have way more. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm? Does that make sense? Yeah. You, like you have to have certain traits to be able right. to do a certain thing. Yeah. Otherwise, they don't know. That's so true. That's a really good point. Because you may not have been born with this stuff, but you would mm-hmm. have seen this stuff. So it counteracts the stuff you would have been born with. Mm-hmm. So those people don't grow up to be killers, right? Or whatever you want to call. They it. might come. They might grow up to be businessmen or right. politicians or yeah. And then they don't see the other side CEOs. of CEOs. So yeah. it's a real few sector of people mm-hmm. that cross those paths that become those killers. That's why serial killers are, I don't want to say one in a million, but they're, relatively. Right, yeah. And they're 
And that's more. why it was fucking important for the FBI to start really looking at this and studying them and coming up with profiles because mm-hmm. I think they, you know, that's true. I think they kind of more realized like some of these people weren't coming from really violent neighborhoods. They were coming from well-to-do families. They had wives and children. It's like, mm-hmm. well, nurture-wise, it looks like you wouldn't do this, so it has to be nature, and then you delve into their childhood, and then, well, now it's nurture. So, yeah, yeah. that's true. Fuck, dude. This yeah. is also interesting. Psychology is crazy. What what questions and theories oh. do you have about this? I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. That was a good little tangent that we yeah. went on. Um, I just put, I think the main thing that I wrote is that there was escalation with each case or with each killing, I should That's say, true. with each child. Um, you know, it was, oh, I wrote it on a different piece of paper. That's why I was like, I knew I wrote shit down. So the first one, strangled, stabbed, bitten. Okay. So the next one, he, he was a little more in depth. He mm-hmm. was taped. He was bound, stabbed nine times. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many times the first you know, victim was stabbed, but I'm sure it was pretty excessive as well. Mm-hmm. But then the last one, he was almost decapitated. Right. So it, it shows escalation. Um, and now he's looking for a, a younger victim. He's looking in preschool. Yeah. yeah. And, and the first, you know, he was riding home on his bike or whatever, just stabbing people, seeing how it, it, it reminded me of Dexter. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where he, he's killing animals. He's testing the waters if yeah. you will, of just like what can I get away with how am I comfortable what's plausible mm-hmm. and it's a perfect at least in my eyes and I don't really know much but it shows complete escalation of just yeah. like I can do this he also has a military background so mm-hmm. he knows you know what can hurt a person he knows how to cover up something maybe um who knows it could have been fuck forget the mother forget the upbringing it could have been the military that could have given him this mindset of like complete control I don't, I, over yeah, another human being. just like aggression you know ptsd i don't know yeah and a thing i just thought of because i was like i was gonna ask why was he going after young prepubescent boys? And then I thought back to being it's an the root altar of boy. His, oh well, yeah. And I was I was gonna say when he saw his father beat his mother was well, but the usually, initial trauma. I don't know. I feel like when you have a domineering mother and you've seen trauma against a woman, something like that, that usually makes your view of a woman convoluted and you might have an anger towards women. So that I and I could be completely wrong, but he didn't have a younger brother. I feel like him targeting young boys rather mm-hmm. than young girls. People have said that he is a uh, homosexual and he vehemently denied being a homosexual. I think yeah. it is very possible that my research just didn't pull it up or no one knows or he had it so fucking buried deep. I think it was very possible he was molested at some point in his mm-hmm. life and he you know, saw this innocence that was stolen from him and these young boys and had this intense fucking rage because he doesn't seem like a process killer he seems like what is what is it process versus product i think he see he's a product killer because he sees the fucking opportunity and he takes it and there's no fucking like it's chaotic it's i think that it also depends on how if we want to go down the mother route how the mother survives is she the 
instigator of the fight or the trauma or right. the beating? Is she a victim of it? Is it he can tell my mom invited these guys in the house because she's, you know, promiscuous and she brings all these guys around and fuck her and she's doing this to herself? Or is it I love my mom and she's being a victim of domestic right. violence? How is he how right. perceiving how is he her? Perceiving her? Mm-hmm. And again, the molestation, totally think if that was a thing, it would probably come into play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, male authority figures and being controlling and all that stuff, religion, mm-hmm. uh, military and religion, those go hand in hand with controlling yeah. and having authority. And then if he viewed his mom in a certain way on either hand, whether she was a victim or whether she was an instigator or offender, however you want to put it, I think that that would go into mm-hmm. his fantasy or his trauma or whatever you, however you want to perceive it. Yeah. Because I think that, you know, Norman Bates... What Ed Gein, however you want to put it, they go hand in hand. Same person, basically. Of like, uh-huh. I love my mom, but I hate my mom because she's a piece right. of shit and she did this to herself. But I also love my mom, so it's a weird fine line of like, mm-hmm. do I feel bad for her because I love her, or do I hate her because she brought this upon all of us? Yeah. So I wonder if maybe he was not just molested by the church, but by other male authority That's figures. True. That is true because it's. It's a very interesting psyche in something like this for someone to, from what I saw, not sexually violate young boys, Mm -hmm. but be targeting them as a male. And he was only 20 when he got caught for his last murder. So that means he was committing these murders at 18, 19. It was almost like he wanted to save them from the assault he did he didn't go through with it even right. being a supposed cause of homosexual Stripped them down to their underwear but didn't go through with it it's yeah i mean Whoops. regardless it's terrible but yeah like, thank god that those kids horrifying. didn't have to live through that but yeah i hope not and i, I really hope my research didn't fail me yeah hmm. but do you have anything else to no add? sorry we went on like a billion tangents about his which psychological is, which is good because i feel like this is an interesting one it's yeah. one that i'm glad i got to cover just be and i i could have gone more in depth um into you know Each the way them, these yeah. boys were found their lives mm-hmm. everything i just think it's important to remember them and i don't want to give him too much fucking like credit <laughs> exactly yeah in, in a weird way credit but see we talk about his psychological issues and this is the stuff that i feel like prisons should talk about and uh discuss. yeah and they maybe they do according to right. marguerite butler they do exactly exactly and that's just something that i wish we knew more about and was more readily available to us because that's something mm-hmm. like when you look at the um um like the parkland shooter mm-hmm. people say well you have to look, listen, and report or whatever they say. And it's like, well, same thing for people who are going to murder in other ways, you know, mm-hmm. not just gun violence and whatever. Um, that needs to be something that's more available to us. It needs to be something that we hear about more often. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, we've been interviewing this guy. We've been studying these this guy. This is how his life led up to this. Mm-hmm. Like, it shouldn't be true crime podcasts that you hear this shit from because we're, we're not the researchers. We're FBI not training. qualified. Yeah. So this is something that's important to, you know, maybe you know your fucking cousin is a piece of shit and they treat their kid terribly and they do these certain things. Like, I had a cousin. Yeah, I'll say it. I don't care. Um, who left their child in a crib for like two days with no food or water like a fucking baby. And this kid is beautiful and wonderful now. But in other circumstances, 
they could be looking back on that child, you know, 20 years from now and saying, well, that's a moment that your psyche Mm -hmm. remembered. And, you know, it's just important for us to know and recognize these signs and these making of a fucking murderer. Yeah, and I mean, the way the world's going these days, it might not be that far off that this stuff is incorporated in our daily news segments and our textbooks and our, you know, Facebook posts. There's true crime stuff whatever everywhere now. And I feel like people are like, oh, it's trending, blah, blah, blah. And I, Good. This is important Good. stuff to talk about. You can't live in a bubble of yeah. nothing can happen to me, everything's fine, and mm-hmm. people don't really do this. This is a one in a million chance. Yeah. It's like, no, it's your neighbor. Yeah. It's, it's, it's your people that you interact with every day. Everyone's capable of anything. Let's not just take the hint every eight months when there's a school shooting exactly let's constantly be on the lookout but yep no so yeah that was i wanted to say their names again um that was the murders of richard stetson danny joe airbear e barrel (laughs) and christopher walden rest in peace sweet baby angel yes fuck you john jobert the nebraska boy snatcher forensic fucking files (laughs) Studio wants to bridge the gap between style and function with their fashionable take on high-tech headphones. They don't think you should have to compromise fashion for quality, and that's why they provide products matching the standard of top-rated headphones with modern Scandinavian designs, offer a fraction of the cost, and free worldwide shipping. Plus, our listeners will receive 15% off any purchase with the code HALLOWEEN. Their premium on-ear model, the Regent, is fantastic. The sound is really well-balanced and super clear. It holds over 24 hours of battery life and 20 days of standby life, which is super impressive. It's great for on-the-go listeners or at-home podcasting with both auxiliary and Bluetooth compatibility. You can even personalize it with interchangeable caps. Scandinavian design and high-quality sound. And you, you can get 15% off the Regent or any of their other awesome headphones by going to www.studio.com and using promo code HALLOWEEN. Again, show your support for this podcast and get 15% off your Studio headphone purchase by visiting sudio.com and using code HALLOWEEN. Studio.com, promo code HALLOWEEN. Do it right now. Yeah. Okay. So, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't do... I was torn. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> but limited kind of time crunch situation. Um, I decided to do my favorite murder. In, not my favorite murder, but my favorite murder. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your personal favorite. Does everyone understand what I'm saying? <laughs> um, not the podcast, but Hannah's favorite murder. Um, I think I've told you before, one of my favorite serial killers quote-unquote favorite, uh, Robert Hansen. I didn't do him. Okay. I really wanted to, but it was a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, it's that's why lot. I was like, ooh, this is... No. No, no, no. I did my favorite singular murder, and um, not in Texas, obviously, because it's April Fool's. So this case was probably, like, if not the, but part of the foundation of my love of true crime. Ooh. I know, right? Uh, This is the murder of Martha Moxley, Forensic Files. Oh, yeah. You've talked about her. And I might know about her if if there was a Lifetime movie. I feel like everyone knows about her. Yeah. But I don't care because I've searched for podcast episodes about her and I can't find one. So I'm going to look. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Martha. I know. She was beautiful. Um, Okay. So I was like, I was on vacation one summer with my family uh, I was flipping through channels. All of a sudden, this movie came on. 
long story short, this movie was about the murder of Martha Moxley. Okay, so it was narrated narrated by her character, um, and the movie was kind of set where a book, a real book about her life and death, was written, mm. and the movie kind of covered that. If that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Or sort of whatever. Um, I'm going to mainly reference a Vanity Fair article that was written by Dominic Dunn in 2013 and then parts of the movie. So Dominic Dunn. Forensic Files. Also, we've heard that name before. I feel like we have two, Mm -hmm. but I don't know from where. Yeah. It may just be me thinking back on this. Right. That's true. So Dominic at the time, he had just written a novel on Martha's death. So novel meaning fiction. He right. became Martha's mother's friend, took bits and pieces of her death, changed some names and dates and circumstances, and wrote a novel on it. Okay. Um, a miniseries had been put into works about her death that he had been a part of. Um, it later put him in contact with retired detective and full-time author Mark Furman. Do you know who I'm referencing? Does anyone know who I'm referencing? Yes, Furman. Furman. Yes, he's the guy from the Nicole Brown Simpson and uh, Ronald Gold- or Ron Goldman trial. He was the cop that testified during that trial for uh, racial involvement. The movie was literally about him cool his the actor playing his character and i believe dominic dunn going to this town and researching to write this later book that was really truly released does that make sense yeah yeah, yeah. yes okay um so yeah mark would go to write a book on her case uh not a novel but a true crime book uh, he pissed the whole town off. He insulted the detectives, the law enforcement who covered the case, all that stuff. I feel like I've definitely heard about this in that context. It's a good one. Uh, it was recently in the news in the last like year or so, I think, with suspects and whatnot. So um, newer things have evolved, most definitely. Um, he was the one who kind of started naming a suspect that had really never been considered about 20-ish years ago. So he was a big deal. Um, so picture it 1975 okay it's greenwich connecticut martha moxley forensic files is 15 years old she's kind of nerdy a little reserved she's in the background she honestly looks like my fucking stepsister like almost identical it's super creepy like naturally bleach blonde hair um she isn't completely unnoticed but she's definitely kind of the new girl in town yada yada Uh, She recently relocated to the area of Greenwich, Connecticut. Uh, It's a very affluent area. And then she lived in the suburb within, which is um, Bellhaven. Okay. Uh, She came from San Francisco. Mine was Bellevue. Yours is Bellhaven. There you go. Uh, She was, like I said, very pretty, natural blonde. She did have some braces, a little bit of baby fat, whatever. She's 15. Adolescent. Right. Um. Her neighbors would be the Skakel family. So unfortunate, right? Uh, But they were Kennedys. Oh. Right. The rich area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the Kennedys. Mm. Um, They had tons of money. The house was filled with multiple children. I think that the whole family maybe had like six or seven siblings. uh, And they had a bunch of staff. They had gardeners, tutors, drivers, all kinds of crap. So every girl in town vied for the attention of 17-year-old Tommy Skakel. I can't say Skakel. It sounds really bad. It sounds like super nasally. 
So like I said, Tommy had multiple siblings. One in specific was his younger brother, Michael. They had major sibling rivalry. Michael was just kind of like always in Tommy's shadow. It At least that's kind of how it was portrayed in the movie. Um, it kind of made it seem that the family, the kids at least were really relatively unsupervised. Um, they were always throwing parties, just kind of doing whatever the fuck they wanted to do. Um, over the few short months of living in Bellhaven, Martha would get those braces off, lose that baby fat, and just like a t- Taylor Swift. up. Yeah. Taylor Swift video. Like, take off those glasses, girl. You're super hot. Like, that's <laughs> like that's what I think about that stupid music video where she like. The only- she wears shirts. Yes. Skirts. Thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> oh, that's all you needed to do? I had no idea. You look that good. <laughs> wow. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, but she's adorable regardless. Um, she gained the attention of both of the brothers. So Tommy and Michael, um, she befriended the majority of the kids in her age in the town. She would attend the mischief night party held at the Skakel residence. So if people don't know what mischief night is, it's the night before Halloween. It's kind of where everyone, all the kids go and like vandalize the neighborhood. Yeah. You uh, TP trees, you spray paint stuff, you egg things, whatever was cool. Get arrested. 75, that was cool when I was younger. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, get arrested. <laughs> um, so some say she was last seen walking towards her shortcut route via the golf course separating her home from the rest of the neighborhood. And then others say she was last seen kissing Tommy Skakel in the backyard of his mm. home. So the golf course thing, I don't, I'm not entirely certain if that was a movie reference or if that was literal. I'm assuming somewhere in between. Okay. Uh, it was a nice neighborhood, so I'm assuming there was a golf course, right. golf course somewhere in there. But anyway. Okay. There's a golf club referenced, so. Uh, Either way, her body would be found the next day after Mischief Night, so Halloween, 1975. Uh, It would be lying under a large pine tree. She had been bludgeoned to death and stabbed through the neck. Her pants would be pulled down around her ankles, but no sexual assault had actually taken place. It will be determined that she was killed and then dragged about 60 to 80 feet uh, and, you know, pulled under the, the pine tree that she was found under. Surrounding her body would be pieces of the murder weapon, uh, which was a number six Tony Pena golf club. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but um, Martha was struck so hard that the shaft of the golf club broke into four pieces, only three of which were discovered at the crime scene. The grip part, which might have actually had fingerprints on it, um, of the perpetrator has never been found. Um, Rumors of who did it kind of went around town. Some thought it was this kind of perverted transient that was going around the neighborhood. Um, For years, it was also believed to be um, either Ken Littleton, the live-in tutor, or Tommy Skakel, Mm. the uh, dreamboat. So, so wow, it went from living tutor to privileged child. Like those right. were the well hmm. because it was like people saw them kissing. I guess so. yeah. Last okay. who was seen, and we'll get into Ken. Um, so during his original book tour, Dominic Dunn would be approached by a forensic psychologist with Martha's autopsy photos that had never been seen by anyone but the police. Wow. The uh, they were large photographs, about eleven by fourteen. Quote. It, it, or he said, quote, it is uh, one thing to discuss being bludgeoned by a golf club. It is quite another to see the effects of such an attack. Mm. 
One of the blows had taken off a portion of the right side of Martha's scalp, which was hanging by a piece of skin down over her face. As she was leaving, this forensic psychologist uh, told him, quote, it wasn't Tommy. Mm, Pretty uh, damning right there. So suspects. In 1975, Ken Littleton, like I said, the live-in tutor, was only 23. He was hired by Rushton Skakel, which was the father, to be a live-in tutor for his sons, help them kind of curb their wild ways. His first night on the job actually turned out to be the night of the murder. Pretty ironic and convenient, Mm -hmm. but also unfortunate. Uh, Earlier that evening, he took some of the Skakel children to the Bellhaven Club for dinner since their father was away on a hunting holiday. Oh, Mm. such a fun vacation. Killing other things. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) A few of them, including Tommy and Michael, drank considerably, although they were teenagers. Yeah. Um, There's no indication from either Ken or the club. They they didn't object. Like, they just were like, whatevs. You're fucking rich as shit. Yeah. Daddy's credit card. Exactly. Um, About a dozen friends, including Martha Moxley, went to the Skakel house after dinner. Some of the Skakel boys went over to the house of their cousins. No one bothered to check in with Ken Little, or no, like none of the kids bothered to like, hey Ken, is this okay? Like, can I go over there? I'm just letting you know, man. Like, nothing. Okay. Like, he was a glorified babysitter that no one gave a fuck about, basically. Okay. Um. So, clearly he was not emerging as an authority figure. Um, After the body of Martha Moxley was discovered the next day, Ken became the prime suspect. Hmm. Nearly a year later, he left the house after a falling out with Rushton Skakel. Um, And over the years, he was interrogated again and again about his involvement in the crime. Um, The experience of the night virtually ruined his entire reputation, his whole life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, subsequently, he was actually arrested oh. <laughs> in Nantucket for grand larceny, breaking and entering, and burglary. He became an alcoholic, as one would probably do. Downward fucking spiral. Yeah. Uh, it is possible that Ken Littleton knew more than he told the police, but uh, it will be determined that he did not kill Martha. Okay. So, okay. Uh, Tommy Skakel would never be formally charged with anything involving Martha's death. Wow. Yeah. He's a Kennedy. Mm. <laughs> um, so information that kind of blew this whole case open, uh, Dominic would be approached by a young man dedicated to solving Martha's murder and gave this account. So Tommy's father, Rushton Skakel, 1991, hired a private detective in New York to investigate Martha's murder. The agents, who were all former detectives or police officers, signed confidentiality agreements never to reveal anything that they learned in the course of their investigation. Question. Mm -hmm. So then what's the point of hiring a PI? Was he just hiring a PI to clear, in his own mind, his son's name? Uh, Like, okay, okay, okay. Okay, (laughs) fuck. Sorry. You're good. (laughs) Um, They were given access to the seven Skakel children and were guaranteed cooperation in a way that the Greenwich police had never had been. So during the process basically they were hired to do psychological profiles. Okay. essentially what the dad hired them for. Okay. Um, so during the process, Michael Skakel, who had never been a suspect because he had an alibi that he had been at a cousin's house, the Tyrians, the Tyrians, whatever. Mm-hmm. Targaryen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Game of Thrones, I remember. <laughs> uh, he said that he was at a... Um, at one of his cousin's house watching a Monty Python movie at the time of the murder. 
He changed his story completely. He told the detectives that he had climbed a tree outside Martha's bedroom window and masturbated. I'm sorry. Yeah. Thank you so much. Me too. The father also paid to have psychological profiles done on his children and staff. When the report was presented to Rushton Skakel, it indicated that Tommy had not killed Martha Moxley, but Michael, the fourth son, who had never been a suspect, had probably killed her. Wow. Right. The report suggested that Tommy may have helped his brother move the body, um, but Michael and Tommy were very competitive and fought constantly. Michael had a crush on Martha, so Tommy moved in on his territory on purpose. Territory. Fucking territory. Right, yeah. Women are territory. It's, it's, yeah, just as good as property. So she died because he had a bruised ego because she liked his older brother more. Exactly. Fuck you. Yeah. That was basically kind of how everyone perceived that they behaved. They were just like, let me one-up you, whatever. The father, basically, he paid the agency to just get rid of this report. (laughs) Stash it away. Don't let anyone find... Dynasty money. Right. Don't let anyone find this profile of my sons don't let anyone realize that most likely these private detectives realize that michael did it because he just basically admitted to it i just jerked off outside of her window but whatevs it's fine um and this was the guy that came to dominic dunn told him all this that he had gotten this information so how he got this information i'm uncertain of Mm -hmm. i doubt that he would want to give his source away but regardless it's true Uh, Dominic Dunn would give this information to Mark Furman and in his 1998 book called Murder in Greenwich, Who Killed Martha Moxley, it is believed that after 25 years, a grand jury convened and decided in 2000 to indict Michael Skakel because of this information. Um, His trial would begin in 2002. Okay. Um, So because this was a probable cause hearing, not a trial because there's no evidence necessarily it's kind of more or less all hearsay ish um there was no jury it would later uh be up to a judge okay woman maureen dennis maureen Maureen. that's brennan's mother's name maureen i love it a former public defender she uh decided whether there was um sufficient evidence to go to trial and if so whether the defendant should be tried as a juvenile or as adult because what well, he's an adult now, but when the case or when the um, murder slash offense happened, he was technically only like fifteen. He was the same age as Martha. That's stupid. Absolutely, but that's the law. You get away. You're in a. You're now an adult that got away with murder. So you've known for all these years since you were an adolescent to adult that you've gotten away with murder. So you should be charged and tried as an adult. I'm sorry. Continue. I'm sure there are other ways to look at it that people, they would convince you otherwise. I'm not saying I have an option to give you, but. There are reasons. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So he was 39 at the time of this hearing. Okay. A hot minute since it happened. So four of Michael's five brothers, his sister and his brother-in-law gave um, the appearance of a, a united Skakel family. Tommy Skakel, the longtime suspect, was not present, although his lawyer was. Hmm. Interesting. It is interesting. Uh, Michael's wife was not present. Duh. Mm-hmm. Nor was his father. Duh. Uh, who now live, at the time, lived in Florida. Let's just say that. I don't know how to pronounce that city. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
He did everything possible, including having his lawyers declare him mentally unstable to avoid testifying uh, before the grand jury for his son's, you know, upcoming hearing, trial, whatever you want to call it. Funny, right? Mm -hmm. Because he knew all those little profiles and documents that he had hidden away all those years ago. Uh, So the prosecution called in three former acquaintances from the Elin, Ellen, whatever, school uh, in Poland Springs, Maine. Huh. That's kind of funny. You had a kid from Maine, too. Yeah. Uh, Who say they heard Michael confess to the crime. So that's three people confirming that he confessed to them about killing Martha. Okay. Oh, my God. Thrice. Plus the... tree masturbation situation (laughs) Mm -hmm. um anyway august 17th nearly six weeks after the conclusion of the hearings judge maureen dennis released her ruling she wrote about michael skiggle's schoolmates whose testimony actually made him cry in the courtroom quote having observed the conduct demeanor and the attitudes of these witnesses the court finds them each to be credible she said in her 13 page statement quote the court finds that this was the specific element of intent to cause death has been proven well beyond a mere suspicion. Badass bitch. Um, after the pre-trial, pre-trial hearing in 2000, the real trial begins in 2002. His defense will claim he was abused and tortured by his family and his demanding alternative school. Don't doubt probably either of those things-ish. Uh, He says that Michael had an alibi and that his multiple confessions over the years were due to his abuse and treatment at the school he was sent to not too long after the murder, that military school thing, whatever. Uh, Alternative, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, During his direct question or during the direct questioning of Mrs. Moxley. So Dorothy Moxley, which is Martha's mother. Okay. The prosecution won permission from the judge to introduce as evidence excerpts from her daughter's diary. So Martha's deep personal thoughts were then portrayed to everyone in the courtroom. Right. She describes her friendship with Michael Skakel and his older brother, Tommy. In the diary entry, she wrote about visiting the Skakel home just across the street from her own home, hanging out and sometimes drinking, drinking. Uh, in one entry, she she described Michael as drunk and belligerent towards his brothers and friends, writing that he, quote, was so totally out of it and, quote, being such an ass, they all started fighting, end quote. In another entry, she wrote about his uh, him buying her ice cream. Hmm. So a little maybe like coercive. Right. Like clearly he had some anger issues anger issues and then clearly he had a crush on her and yeah make her see him in a different light something right. like that so martha's mom dorothy testified about her frantic worry when her daughter did not return home on the night of october 30th 1975 she also testified to hearing a commotion the voices of several teenagers outside her house at about 9:30 p.m. as well as the barking of several dogs hmm. in cross examination um Efforts to show that the murder occurred when Mr. Skakel said he was at his cousin's house kind of arose. So he asked about uh, the, excuse me, the um, prosecution, I guess, asked about the noise from the dogs and if the possibility that Mrs. Moxley had recalled (laughs) only after hypnosis. Oh, God. Hearing her daughter's screams. So there was a lot of 
uh, weird. I feel like bullshit attempts yeah. to try to be like, when did you hear this? When did you hear that? Is this right. true? Blah, blah, blah. Um, so police chief Thomas Keegan testified about the murder scene and how uh, and about how a trail of blood and matted grass showed that Martha had been killed near her driveway of her family's home and then dragged about that 60 to 80 feet, like I mentioned before, to the base of a pine tree where her body was found. The jury was shown the photographs of Martha lying face down, her head crushed, her pants uh, pulled down uh, by her ankles. Mm. Yeah. Uh, after all is said and done... Like, this case is just fucking great. After all is said and done, Michael Skakel is convicted and sentenced with 20 years to life in prison. Bullshit. That's all? You will just wait. Just wait. Uh-huh. Um, over the years, he submits his appeals and all are denied just like his parole. However, in 2013, an appellate judge grants him a new trial. But in 2016, the state Supreme Court reinstated the conviction. Okay. He posted the $1.2 million bail. Oh, fuck. Of course he did. And is living free while the courts decide on when his new trial and legal decisions therein should begin. So it's been at least, it's been five years and he's been living free? Uh, no, that was 2016. Was oh, oh that's 2016. Two Still two years. Yeah, he's out free right now. Currently. And you think $1.2 million bail? You think that's a lot. Oh, absolutely. But when, but when you have a Kenneth... Yeah. Kennedy dynasty it's mm-hmm. like I'm sorry set that for 50 million and maybe that will make them think twice articles I read said they were probably like more rich than the Kennedys if that makes sense wow I think it was their aunt was a Kennedy he was their aunt was the widow of uh, Robert Kennedy something like that I can't remember Ethel Kennedy is their aunt or something like that I have so much to say I put on my questions and theory slot like skip I literally wrote skip because <laughs> it's just like this was so long ago. Uh-huh. Clearly, no one, you know, no one cares. Everyone's just going to pay their way to get out of it. Nothing's going to actually, you know, happen, if yeah. you will, air quotes, because it, this guy's money. He's yeah. made of money and yeah. nothing true will actually happen to him. Mm-hmm. And her death will just be another book or another movie or another yep. whatever podcast yeah. episode because it's tragic and this guy sucks. Yeah. He's pissed because his brother, he caught his brother making out with her. I mean, that's how the book depicts it. That's how the articles and the movie depicts it. He was just a jealous person inside and thought, fuck you. You're a slut. I'm going to kill you. And he didn't rape her, but he wanted to embarrass her. So that's why he pulled her pants down. And that's exactly, he beat her to death because he was angry Mm -hmm. and wanted, I'm going to embarrass you and I'm going to expose you to everyone. Yep. It's like, and where is, and I feel like it's stereotypic goal of me to think but you you do think about real life examples of this where uber rich dynastic families care more about their reputation than what necessarily is right and it also goes to what we were talking about in my murder Mm -hmm. like you have a, a lot of like fortune 500 people like billionaires like they might be sociopaths because that's you know you have to have a certain chemical makeup to climb that far up and to squash so many people underneath you and it's mm-hmm. like this is just collateral damage and my family name makes me money it means more than anything and it's just like where the fuck is the decency where's the decency in the people that were i'm sure also among the rich and privileged of the area the three people who he confessed to mm. where's the decency in the but pi's they, they, they testified they said 
in the, the post trial. But why didn't they go hearing? to police when he test when he like confessed? Because they were teenagers when it happened. Oh, they were all young. Okay, okay. Yeah, I was, was thinking like, more an adult. No, no, no. They were all in this alternative high school that he was shipped off to. He okay. got he got a okay. DUI around seventeen or eighteen, and his dad shipped him off to this high school, and that's when he you know, supposedly confessed to these three kids at this military God. school. It's just like... But then he was abused and, and tortured at this school. Right. So it was just this, this big back and forth of like, well... Like, no, you were a spoiled, entitled little brat. She was a physical item mm-hmm. that you saw as nothing more and you wanted that and you couldn't get that and you were angry yeah. and you fucking murdered her. And it's just despicable Based- that his family covered it up and oh, continues to support him covered it up i mean his dad had all the evidence you would need and said bury it yeah. get rid of it this, i don't want to see it if i Your ever had anyone close to me commit a murder or a manslaughter drunk drive and kill somebody anything like that that guilt would weigh on you oh yeah i would be compelled to go to the police and you know it might not even go as far as me like fighting for justice because it's my loved one but i would go to the police and say this is everything i know and they can do what they want with it but Mm -hmm. you fucking you don't shell out millions and millions of dollars to cover up this girl's life like by the time he was finally indicted like that was longer than the life that she had ever lived on this earth absolutely i mean it's insane Regardless of the situation, it's right. clearly unfortunate. The victims aren't getting any recognition. Right. Nothing is being done. It's getting covered up. Fucking Dorothy, like she, Dorothy Moxley is dealing. I don't. I don't think she's still alive. I, I didn't. Probably, read yeah, probably she not. Was not. But that family has gone through so much, and like mm-hmm. this is. This should have been open and closed. But yeah. Because of the town that it was in, and the way it was handled by you know law enforcement, the money that like, was there. Shush, mm-hmm. right. Clearly, whoever, you know, psychiatrist or or private investigator, whomever you want to pin this on of like, why didn't you say something? They clearly kind of did at the end of the day. Because, That's true. That you is know, true. They all came forward. Some odd years later, this the all evidence came, out. came forward. Exactly. We wouldn't know this existed if Unless no they kept record of it. So, I mean. That's true. It That's couldn't fair. have just been like, oh, I had this conversation at this guy with this guy at this Starbucks. Like, it had mm-hmm. to have been documented. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, an actual document of some kind to like prove as evidence so i mean yes the 70s were shit and no one knew anything about anything everything was fucking mk ultra we could go on and on about everything um but that was my favorite murder i know i didn't go too much into martha herself but she was absolutely beautiful she seemed like a yeah. super sweet just like i don't want to say like Beach Boys, California girl, but like that's literally what she was. She reminds me a lot of Marsha. Yes, Marsha Brady. Yep, Marsha Brady. Yeah, she had that part down the middle, gorgeous straight blonde hair. She looked athletic. She looked like just colorful, life of the party, yeah. beautiful, sweet person. Um, Michael Skakel, I hope you go to jail. I hope it ruins some connection to your family. The Kennedys will never die, unfortunately, um, but. Your family is known for having crime and murder and infidelity and money Scandal. issues. Scandal. Mm-hmm. There you go. Basically, if you climb to the top of that political or corporate ladder, like you have a lot of, you probably have a lot of blood on your hands in it, one way or another. It's lonely at the top because you killed everyone. Yeah. 
Basically. That's a good point. <laughs> Thank you. We'll end God. it on that. Martha Moxley, you're my dream. You're my person. You're the one that got me to this point. So thank you so much. Martha Rest Mo- in fucking peace. Yeah. And like, I hope you all full, full circle because yeah. Martha Moxley, Forensic Files. Hello. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'm winging this right now. Um... If you guys want to, nope. thank, thank, uh, we both hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Be sure to check out our social media on all of the photos on these cases. Yeah. Question mark. Links to our sources will also be in the show notes if you guys want more information. And we'll be back in one week. Yes. With more Texas true crime. And if anyone's listening, happy, happy Halloween. Halloween. Slash April Fool's. <laughs> 